All right, as far as this morning, we're going to be back in the book of Acts. So if you would, please open your Bibles back to Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8. If you haven't been with us through our exposition of Acts, I will um, be taking you through a bit of a survey here in a little bit to give you a running start to uh, the passage that we're going to be in today. It's interesting, as a, as a pastor, when you preach all the time, you've got passages that you know are going to be uniquely convicting and challenging, like the last few weeks on Thursday night when I was teaching Psalm 32 and Psalm 51. I was aware of um, the, you know, the, the gravitas, the weightiness of those passages because I felt some of my own life when I studied them. You know, you try and live with those for 15, 20, 30 hours and see how you feel. <laughs> it's difficult, um, but it's good and we need it. And yet as a pastor too, when you run into other passages, like we're going to be in Acts 8 today, sure, there'll be convicting elements, but what excites me as much as anything, and as I've been up this morning just thinking through this passage again, I think that a passage like this, when you see it in context in the book of Acts, is going to enlarge your vision of God and His missionary heart. And it's going to enlarge your heart as you think about, does my heart align itself with God's heart as I think about souls and missions and God's mission for His church? I've just absolutely loved studying this passage. And the passage we're going to be in, just to throw it out there up front as we start thinking about it, is Acts 8, 25 all the way down to 40. Now, many of you have studied that probably before about what? What's that passage about? Does anybody know? Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. What an amazing passage. And you know what's sweet about when you come to a passage like this is that if you see it in its larger context, beloved, it's got a larger point and a bigger point than we often think about when we just encounter it. And what I mean is when we typically come to this passage, we come to this passage and we think about what? Evangelism, right? This evangelistic exchange between Philip, this man sent out by the early church, and the Ethiopian eunuch. Well, what I want to demonstrate to you today, and and I think it will thrill your heart, is evangelism is a part of this passage. There's implications for evangelism. And and in fact, you'll see that there's elements of evangelism, but it might not be classic evangelism. But there's a bigger point going on here today, a point, beloved, that God knows we regularly need. And that is this, that God has a heart for the nations. And God has a heart to rescue people and build churches, listen, one soul at a time. In fact, I know I had you turn to Acts, but just turn back to Matthew 16 just to see God's heart for the gospel to go forth, the nations to know of His name, and His power to be known, listen, through local churches. But what we cannot miss is that local churches and the gospel going forth happens one soul at a time. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew 16 to Peter. Notice Matthew 16, verse 16. Simon Peter, responding to Christ, said, Christ, you are the Son. Uh, He said to him, but I say to you that I am. Simon Peter answered him, you are Christ. The Son of the living God. As He questioned Him, Who do you say that I am, Peter? Then 17, And Jesus said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because 
Flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock, and that rock there, if you're wondering, there's lots of views on that. I think if we spend some more time in it, the rock there is describing the foundation of the message being taught and Peter himself who ends up becoming the foundation of the early church. And on this rock, on your message, Peter, and your life, I'm going to build my church. And notice, the gates of hell, of Hades, will not overpower. And sometimes I think we come to that passage and we think, man, that's incredible. And we get this big vision for God taking the gospel forth. And we should. But you shouldn't miss the fact that that's personal as well. And if you're a believer, you get sucked into that passage. Because God's church is built one soul at a time. So when you come to Matthew 16, 18, yes, have big gospel theology, but remember, you could read, I'm going to build my church and I'm going to build it through your name and your name and your name and your name. One soul at a time. The church is built. Jesus rearticulates that in Acts now. Go to Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Jesus picks up the same words that was said there by, by Himself to Peter, and then He picks it up again as the risen Lord and restates it to the apostles. Peter as well is here again, but all the apostles. Look at what Jesus says here to the apostles before this whole fulfillment of the church being built. Look at what He says. And there's a progression here. Chapter 1, verse 8 of Acts. But you, apostles, early church, and beloved, you and I get sucked into this by extension, will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come. So the permanent sealing of the Spirit in the new covenant ministry of the church. And you shall be my witnesses. Notice the progression, beloved, because the whole book of Acts and Jesus' whole method and His building project for the church is laid out geographically. It's going to start in Jerusalem. That's where the Gospel's going to go first in the New Testament church. I'm going to start saving Jews. And then it's going to go to Judea and Samaria. And I'm going to start saving people from Judea and Samaria and of the Jewish nation that are there. And then I'm going to start to spread that out. And notice, it's going to go to the remotest parts of the earth. Across Africa and Asia, to America, to sunny Jupiter, Florida. Beloved, you must understand that we are in this passage. If you are a believer that attends Grace Emmanuel Bible Church, you are a fulfillment of Acts 1.8. The Gospel going forth to the ends of the earth. And I think there's a threat that we have sometimes, that we're in jeopardy sometimes in our day in and day out life, in the, in the every week cycle, that we can get to a point where we don't get enough altitude and remember that the purpose and the reason God left you on earth is to fulfill Acts 1.8 and to be swept up into the heart of God and His heart for the nations. And I love the passage that we're in today with the Ethiopian eunuch. Because, beloved, the point of the passage is very simple. God has a heart to take the gospel across the globe and fulfill Acts 1.8 and fulfill Matthew 16. And He does it one soul at a time. So yes, there's evangelism in this passage. But that's a secondary thought to the main point. Because you know who the main character is in this passage? It's not Philip and it's not the Ethiopian. The main character in Acts 8.26-40 is God working behind the scenes to make sure that His gospel goes 
forth. He is going to fulfill His promise to build His church. So let's get a running start because here's the danger of jumping into the middle of Acts. You jump right into the middle of a massive narrative and if you just reach in and pull out one portion of it, you could get lots of principles from it, but you'll miss the heart of God. So Acts 1.8, just think with me. Remember what we just learned. Gospel goes where first? Jerusalem. Then Judea and Samaria. Samaria is north. Judea is south. And then it goes across the globe. Well, now think with me for a second. We're in Acts 8, so let's hit rewind. Let's go back here. Acts 2, what happens? The Spirit comes and God plants the first church ever planted by Him in Acts 2 on Pentecost. That's in where? Jerusalem. Then you have Acts 2, 3, 4, and into 5. You've got the Jerusalem church thriving. And you remember, they have external threats. The Sanhedrin is trying to silence the disciples, and they will not stop. They'll obey God rather than men. You've got the internal threat with Ananias and Sapphira. God deals with them. God is purifying His church and building it. By the time you get to Stephen in Acts 6, where are we? We're still in Jerusalem. Hang with me. We're still in Jerusalem. There's only one church on the face of the earth still by the time you get to Acts 6. We're in church history now. You're in Acts 6. What happens? You've got Stephen who's boldly preaching and you've got this guy named Philip who's also helping him and they're taking care of the widows and then they start to spread out and do some ministry. And Stephen comes on the scene and what happens with Stephen? He starts preaching. They want to silence him and they execute him. Now you've gotten yourself to Acts 8 and they've just killed Stephen. Now where is the gospel still? It's still only in Jerusalem. But God made a promise. He's going to take it from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria and then blow it across the globe. So now look at Acts 8. Stephen's just been killed and persecution breaks out all over Jerusalem. Remember, There's only one church on the face of the earth right now. The Jerusalem church. And by the way, the Jerusalem church is probably 20,000 by now. Think about that. 20,000 member church meeting in Jerusalem. How is God going to get the gospel to Judea and Samaria and across the earth? Persecution. Acts 8, verse 1. Saul was in hearty agreement with putting him to death. We'll see that in a few weeks, the Apostle Paul. And on that day, what day? The day that Stephen was stoned to death for his faithfulness. Great persecution began against the church where? Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout where? Judea and Samaria. Except the apostles were able to stay in Jerusalem. So what you have, beloved, is Acts 1.8. Gospel goes to Jerusalem, then Judea and Samaria. How's God do it? He lets persecution flood through the church. You think, man, wish God could have a better strategy. <laughs> and yet God knew what it was going to take to spread His gospel, and He's going to march it forth. And what's amazing is He spreads out 20,000 souls. Then what happens? We have Philip, this new guy, this under-shepherd, non-apostle, show up in Acts in Acts 4 and following, and he goes, and he's part of the church being planted in Samaria. And you remember, we saw our second church in Samaria. There was a threat. Simon the sorcerer. Peter dealt with him. He was removed. So now here's where we are in Acts. The gospel's been in Jerusalem. 20,000 believers are spread out to Judea and Samaria. You have your second church planted in Samaria, which is north of Jerusalem. So here's your map. Ready? I'm going to draw you a square map. Ready? You on it? Square map. Jerusalem. Samaria, Judea, 
So you've got Philip, who was in Jerusalem, went on the run, ended up in Samaria, second church planted by God. Now there's two churches on the face of the earth. Just imagine that. There's two churches on the planet. And now they're about to start go spreading, they're about to start spreading out, and the apostles who have joined up with Philip are going to start going and preaching the gospel. Now take yourself right into verse 25 of chapter 8 and watch what happens in the missionary heart of God to see more churches born and planted. Notice. So when they verse 25 of chapter 8, there's two churches on the face of the earth. So when they had solemnly testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they started back to Jerusalem. And notice, and they were preaching the gospel in many villages of the Samaritans. Remember your map here. Okay? Jerusalem. Samaria. They're starting to make their way back down to Jerusalem. So everything, beloved, seems to be going according to plan. God's plan that we've seen. And all of the sudden... Luke records and introduces a new narrative. A narrative of this Ethiopian eunuch that's way out of the way and is going to take Philip and run him way around Jerusalem all the way down to Judea to chase down one soul. Beloved, what you're about to see is God is going to intervene to make sure His gospel goes places that they wouldn't have naturally been going because they were on their way back to Jerusalem. And really, beloved, that is in Acts 8, 26 all the way to 40. It is the focus of the story. And I've titled this message, God's Missionary Heart to Build His Church One Soul at a Time. It's my Puritan title. God's Missionary Heart to Build His Church One Soul at a Time. And you're going to see four scenes in God's missionary heart to build His church one soul at a time. And what's amazing is up to this point in Acts, what have you seen? God spreading out and saving thousands upon thousands. Then all of a sudden, the Spirit's going to come and say, I'm going after one. And you'll see why later on. I'll wait for the punchline. So now, four scenes. Scene one. Ready? Scene one to see God's missionary heart to build His church one soul at a time. If you're taking notes, here it is. It's going to be starting at verse 26. Scene 1. God sovereignly redirects Philip to seek out a single soul. Beloved, do not tell me God is not particular in redemption after you study this passage. God sovereignly redirects Philip to seek out a single soul. And when you read this, it's going to be humbling. Because as you see the providence of God and the way He works and the way He pursues this Ethiopian eunuch, you were no different. God has been saving the same way with the same message through providential means. If you're a believer, He sought you. Just like this. So watch God interrupt with His providence and redirect Philip. So, verse 25, Philip's on his way back to Jerusalem. Verse 26, but, insert, new character, an angel of the Lord, sent from the Lord, spoke to Philip saying, get up and go south. Remember, he's north of Jerusalem, to the road that descends from Jerusalem to Gaza, that is a desert road. Okay, here's your map. I almost brought in a slide today, but I just couldn't bring myself to do it. Here's your map. Okay? Ready? They're up here. Samaria. Jerusalem's right here. Gaza's right here. Gaza's on the border of Egypt, going down into all of the Africa and all into Africa. So they're here. They're supposed to be going down. There's a famous desert road that goes around and can take you all the way down to Gaza. God says to Philip, Philip, I know you're supposed to be going to Jerusalem with the guys. 
But I want you to go all the way down and head towards Gaza on foot. You know how far that is? About 60 miles as the crow flies. And the angel says, get up and go. (laughs) Do you realize already what you're seeing? God is the main character here behind the scenes and he's sending Philip on a mission after one single soul. So, notice what happens. He starts to head on this road. Does he know what he's doing on that road? Did God tell him what to encounter? He said, no, just go. What did Philip do? Ah, God, are you sure? Nope. He went. No disobedience, no pushback, no questioning, utter faith. Philip went. So, 26 says, he started to go towards Gaza, which is on the border down into Egypt. 27, so he got up. And he went, 27. And when he's on his way, traveling on this 60-mile journey, somewhere along the way, or probably more because the road bends around Jerusalem, so it's probably a few more miles. On foot, he's going down, beloved, and look at this, 27. So he got up and went, and on his way, there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure and had come to Jerusalem to worship. Stop there for a second. You have, to, you have to understand something here and just consider this. You've got this Ethiopian eunuch. We might say an unlikely convert. And Philip is sent to go and then he runs into him and he meets who you might say is the most unlikely candidate. For example, let's just understand this Ethiopian eunuch for a moment. Just... Just think about him. First off, notice how it describes his social status. His social and economic status. Look back in the text. Notice, verse 27. He was a court official of Candace. That means uh, she was a royal lady. Candace is the idea there. So he was a court official of the queen of the Ethiopians. Now, when you think Ethiopia, don't think modern-day Ethiopia. Think historical times Ethiopia, which is what we now call Sudan. So you've got this court official who, notice what he does, he manages the queen's money. So he's established, he's credible, he's trusted, and he works right alongside the queen. Now, of all the places that I would imagine Philip thought he was going to go, God is sending him to reach someone on the path to Judea that actually lives outside Judea and lives down in this place called Ethiopia and works alongside the queen. And Ethiopians were typically a darker-skinned people. And his job was to care for her. But notice also, he was a eunuch. There's two reasons that people were eunuchs. One, they were those that had decided to vow their life to the queen. And they would castrate them so there was no threat to the queen. She was never in jeopardy. The second reason they became eunuchs is because they were brought into slavery, and oftentimes they would, they would provide, they would, um, they would perform a castration just so there was no longer a threat, there was no longer a jeopardy, maybe even a cut off the line. So either slavery or vowing yourself to be for the queen. So you've got this unlikely candidate who's of royal descent, and for some reason it's put in here that that he is one that we might say is um, is is not viewed by Jerusalem or the Jews as as fully what he ought to be. So they'd have a special place to worship for eunuchs. But there's something interesting you need to notice here. This Ethiopian eunuch was not 
just a Gentile like we often think, I believe you can make a good case that this Ethiopian eunuch was a Jew. Notice back in the text, this Ethiopian eunuch, court official of Candace, queen of Ethiopia, was in charge of a treasure, and notice, he had come to Jerusalem to worship. And if you go down a little bit more, in verse 30, he owns a copy of Isaiah's prophecy. So not only does he have loads of money to have a copy of Isaiah's prophecy, which is pretty much unprecedented at this time, do you have to have a lot of money to have your own copy of Isaiah? But secondly, this was a man who spent his resources on having a copy of Isaiah. It was important. And this is a man who had traveled in his carriage with either by, maybe there's a horse or a mule or an oxen, and he had gone up to go to Jerusalem to worship. Now you say, well, I always thought this was a Gentile. Well, actually, the land of Ethiopia, ancient Ethiopia, there's a little history background for you, there was a whole bunch of Jews that got dispersed throughout the dispersion in 586 and 722 under Assyria and Babylon, and a bunch of them got spread into Ethiopia. Listen to Zephaniah 3, 9 and 10. For then I will give my people purified lips, and all of them may call on the name of the Lord. Listen, to serve Him shoulder to shoulder from beyond the rivers of Ethiopia, my worshipers, my dispersed ones will bring me offering. There was Jews in Ethiopia. So we can't know for sure. It could be that he was a full-blown Jew in Ethiopia or his mom or his dad was Jewish. Either way, there was a devout Judaism in him and he was traveling a long distance all the way down from southwest of Egypt down here all the way back up through Gaza into Jerusalem. So we are dealing with a gentleman that's come a long distance to come in and worship. Now there's an interesting point we have to think about here. The classic view of this passage is this is classic evangelism, that Philip is going and sharing the gospel with the Ethiopian eunuch who's unsaved. That's possible. But it's also very possible, beloved, that the Ethiopian eunuch is a believing Old Testament Jew. In fact, just thinking about the passage, he has his own copy of Isaiah's prophecy. He, when you get into the interaction, he's very soft to the Scriptures. There's no call of repentance from Philip. And when he hears that Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament, he just readily accepts it. There's a very good likelihood, though we can't be certain, I'm going to ask him in heaven when I meet him, <laughs> that you're actually dealing with a devout Old Testament Jew who had not known until he went to Jerusalem about Jesus the Nazarene. That is why it's so important to see that there's a greater point than just evangelism here. The greater point is how God is planning to take His gospel and spread it across the earth. He's doing it in the book of Acts by calling people that are unsaved, Old Testament Jews. You think about Peter's sermon. He's saying, repent, you self-righteous Pharisees. And they're getting saved. And it may also be that he's chasing people down on random roads, one soul at a time, who are believing Old Testament Jews who had not yet understood that the prophecies were fulfilled in Jesus and Nazarene. And when they learned it, they accepted it. We're also going to have to consider that with Cornelius. We're also going to consider that with John the Baptist's disciples we see later on. You have to understand, this is a transitionary time where God's main goal is not for us to see exactly where we know where everybody's ultimately at, but that when they embrace Jesus, they start taking the gospel. From a human perspective, you could say, on Philip's mission, this is an unlikely target. 
And yet God sends him. So, that's scene one. God's missionary heart is to build His church one soul at a time, and He does it by sovereignly redirecting Philip to seek out a single soul. Now this just gets so much more exciting. If, if He is, beloved, an unsaved Jew who came to Jerusalem for externals, that's fine. See, he still responds and embraces Jesus. Or if he's an Old Testament believing Jew, he still embraces Jesus. The point is he responds to Jesus once he learns of him. The bigger point here is how God wants to take his gospel across the globe. So, scene one, God sovereignly redirects Philip after a single soul. Here's scene two. The Spirit is the forerunner to prepare the Ethiopian's heart to embrace Jesus. The Spirit is the forerunner to prepare the Ethiopian's heart to embrace Jesus. Notice verse 29. This is kind of funny. Actually, there's some humor in this that you'll enjoy in a moment. Then the Spirit said to Philip, again, sovereign direction to Philip, go get that soul, Philip. Go up and join the chariot. Now look at verse 30. Philip ran and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah. Now remember, Philip's on foot and the Ethiopian's in a, in a, in a, in a, uh, in a chariot. And the Greek for ran is ran. He's running. So it's almost like i got to catch this guy. Hey, no, you're going a little faster than me. Hey, what are you reading over there? Isaiah, do you know what, I, you know what that means? No, actually, and then he stops. Watch. The Spirit said to Philip, go up and join the chariot. So Philip started running. And as he's running alongside, he hears him reading of Isaiah the prophecy and says to him how could uh, he says to him do you understand what you are reading so Philip's trotting alongside of him likely a little bit winded <laughs> and says do you understand what you are reading verse 31 the Ethiopian responds no pushback no hesitation how could I unless someone guides me. And then notice, finally, I'm sure Philip was relieved, he stops the chariot. And he says, Philip, come on, he said, and he invited Philip to come on in and sit with him. Now I want you to stop for a second. Think about this. He's just been to Jerusalem, beloved. Think about this. The Ethiopian eunuch has just been to Jerusalem. What was happening in Jerusalem? Everywhere he went, what would he have heard about? This Jesus the Nazarene who has a bunch of followers, his disciples and apostles, they're upsetting the world. Everybody's upset. In fact, one of them was so vocal named Stephen that we had to silence him and kill him. And then he'd go into the temples and he'd hear about there was actually priests that were being saved. And then he'd be asking around saying, so what's been going on here in Jerusalem? Well, you know that guy Jesus that we killed? They claim He's the Messiah. They claim that He's risen. They claim that He is the fulfillment of all the Old Testament prophecies. you got to understand, beloved, when this Ethiopian eunuch is in Jerusalem, the buzz in town is Jesus the Nazarene who is the fulfillment of everything that was said would happen with the Messiah. Now you think about what is God doing, beloved, regardless of where he's regenerate or not, what was God doing for the Ethiopian eunuch while he's in Jerusalem? He was clearly preparing his heart to consider and think about that Jesus the Nazarene was the fulfillment. How do we know that? What is he reading when he leaves? Isaiah 53. Wow. 
So no doubt when he was in town, a conversation came up and they, one of the Jews probably said to him, they claim, or he just thought it in his mind, they claim that Isaiah 53, the suffering servant, that is about Jesus the Nazarene. And so when God sends Philip to run up alongside of him, beloved, he is literally in the context that would be considering, is Jesus the fulfillment of what I've always thought was just a representative of the nation of Israel? That's what the Jews would teach. Isaiah is a representative of the nation who had unjust suffering. That is how people have always treated us. It's a corporate passage of how we've always been mistreated. This isn't about Jesus. This is about our nation and how we've been mishandled. Here he is going along. And what does God do? God sends someone with the answers. Beloved, is that not your conversion story? God working out a whole bunch of providential circumstances. I was telling some guys today, I was like, I listened to this sermon and I was reading this passage and God had me traded from this team and I was on, this guy brought up a conversation and this chaplain came and talked to me and then this guy came up and handed me this resource and all of that was preparing me for a greater understanding of my lost condition and my need for Christ. God was providentially working out a whole bunch of circumstances so that my heart was soft. Beloved, don't you see the main hero here is God. He was preparing the Ethiopian eunuch for Philip to come. And now watch this interchange about Isaiah 53. This is probably one of the most exciting little interactions in the book of Acts. Watch this. He runs up, trotting, verse 30, and says, Do you understand what you're reading? And he says, How could I, 31, unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come in. And now Luke says, let me give you some background. He's reading right in the middle of speaking the prophecy speaking about Jesus. Verse 32. Now the passage of Scripture which he was reading was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shears is silent. So he does not open his mouth. In humiliation his judgment was taken away. Who will relate this generation? For his life is removed from the earth. So Luke said, let me take you offline. He's right in the middle of the most significant prophecy about the suffering servant. Now let me bring you back to the dialogue. Notice 34. The eunuch answered Philip. In response to you wondering, Philip, if I know what I'm reading in Isaiah 53, the answer is, I'm not sure. Can you give me more clarity? Notice. Please tell me of whom... Does the prophet say of himself? So is Isaiah talking about himself and the nation? Or is it someone else? I love that question. Listen, you minister to a Jewish person, that is the single passage you take them to and the single question you ask them. When I did that debate over there at FAU and they said, share the gospel, I'm like, perfect, I'm going to Isaiah 53. (laughs) Every Jewish person I've ever interacted with, I always tell them, who is Isaiah 53 speaking about? You must answer that. And God has the Ethiopian eunuch in Isaiah 53. Either he's saved and he's wrestling with the prophecy if this is the fulfillment, or maybe he's unregenerate and he's about to come to Christ. Either way, God has him in the context for the Jew. I love this. (laughs) So, so encouraging. Now watch what Philip says. So the question is posed, basically. Basically, here's the question. Philip, is this Jesus or not? (laughs) And look at verse 35. Philip opened his mouth and beginning with his opinions. (laughs) No. (laughs) 
Philip opened his mouth and from the scriptures he preached Jesus to him. I'm sure Philip had the biggest smile on his face and said, you're asking me the ultimate question as a Jew. Is Isaiah 53 fulfilled in Jesus? The answer is yes. Hallelujah. Yes, he bled and he died and he forgave us. And he is the one that was promised of old. And if, and if he was an Old Testament Jew that already believed, he'd go, ah, oh, my Messiah. And if he wasn't and he had been trusting in his works and hadn't trusted that God would send a deliverer by faith, he'd go, he's now my Messiah. Either way, he'd both he'd be saying, he's my Messiah now. You know what Philip probably told him? You know that whole stuff you're hearing about that being about Isaiah? That's rubbish. This is about Jesus. Pull back the curtain now, beloved. You've got the eunuch, Ethiopian eunuch, and you've got Philip, but the hero of this story is God. He's providentially working in Jerusalem to prepare him to be reading this passage. He sends, he sends Philip some, probably we'll just say he's went 25 miles by now, to go after one single soul. I love that. Now look at 36. As they went along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, water! <laughs> What's the significance of that? What prevents me from being baptized? Stop there. That's going to take us into our third scene, which is thrilling. If scene one is God sovereignly redirecting Philip to seek seek out a single soul, and scene two is God providentially working to prepare the Ethiopian's heart, here's scene three. God has Philip teach the Ethiopian about the mission for the church. You say, where is that in the text? I'll show you. Kind (laughs) of. As they went along... On the road. Verse 36. Remember, 56 mile journey. He's heading around Jerusalem down to Gaza. At some point, he jumped in the carriage with him. We can know for certain that Philip was teaching him about the New Testament ministry of the Spirit, about the new covenant uh, of Jesus fulfilled in his blood, and about baptism in the local church. Beloved, think about that. The very first discipleship session that Philip has with his new disciple, the Ethiopian eunuch, is about baptism in the local church. How do we know? The question that the Ethiopian asks. What's on his mind after Philip spent some time on the road with him is, where can I be baptized? Notice, as they went along, verse 36, the eunuch said, look, water, what prevents me from being baptized. Interesting. You think about that. How do we think about baptism today? Typically it's like you get saved, then you wander around in your life for a number of years and you kind of figure it out and then maybe you go and you commit and you get baptized and maybe you kind of become part of a church. It's this loose approach to baptism and the local church. And yet all that's on his mind on the same ride down this road to Gaza, once he spent some more time with Philip, is if I'm a legitimate follower of Christ, what does it look like to pledge my allegiance and loyalty to him? Philip would have taught him about baptism. What is baptism? Well, if you go back to Acts 2, we know what Philip would have said. Philip would have said, if you're truly a follower of Christ, the first act of obedience is to declare your allegiance to Jesus and publicly make it known that you followed Him. You've left the culture and you've joined the church. 
So he also would have been teaching him about the church. Because to be baptized is to say, I've left the culture, I want to publicly be known as a Christ follower, and I now want to be identified with a local church. So Philip would have been teaching him about what the significance of baptism was and what the significance of the church was. And beloved, you know what else Philip would have told him? Matthew 28. The first act of obedience for the true follower of Christ after they've realized they've come to Christ is you baptize them. We think far too little about the significance of that. True baptism is pledging your loyalty to Jesus. How do we know it's such a big deal? Look at the response Philip gives him. Philip said, you want to be baptized? Verse 37. Okay, here's the criteria. If you believe with all your heart. Translation, if Christ is your Lord and every ounce of your allegiance has been committed to Him, of course you should be baptized. If He is Lord of your life and you've committed your life to Him and abandoned everything else, why wouldn't you be baptized? And the Ethiopian said, I believe Jesus is the Son of God. That is to say for a Jew, I believe everything that the Old Testament said about Jesus and Nazarene, um, everything that the Old Testament said about the future Messiah was fulfilled in Jesus the Nazarene. Now, do you know what I love about this? He's truly following Jesus the Nazarene now. And no one had to tell him and prod him and push him, well, you should go get baptized. Well, you should go tell people about your loyalty to Christ. He literally, the moment he realizes that he has an opportunity to obey for the first time, look at what he says, verse 38. You mean I can obey Jesus right now? Notice what he says. Stop everything. Stop the chariot. Driver, stop now. I'm going to go obey. Look at verse 38. And he ordered, that is strong, authoritative, ethos and pathos. Driver, stop! And they both went down to the water, Philip as well as the eunuch, and he baptized him. Do you realize how costly his baptism probably would have been? He's working under a pagan queen back in Ethiopia. She was probably okay with Judaism, but to come back and say, I just pledged my loyalty to King Jesus on the way back here, would have been a big deal. Did it bother him? No. Beloved, I love thinking about that. What is the implication? A true follower of Christ, when they hear the opportunity, once they realize that if I haven't been baptized as a believer, my first opportunity to obey Him is to go publicly make it known that my allegiance is to Him, they tell the proverbial driver, stop, give me an opportunity. And the only criteria Philip had is, are you legit? Do you genuinely want to give Him everything? You say, but Darren, there was no church. He's way down here. There's a church up here and a church here. Yep, there's no church. But it's interesting, isn't it, that the first discipleship from Philip was, let me teach you about baptism. I want to teach you a biblical ecclesiology. Then I want to teach you about the church. And I want to teach you what it means to commit your life to Christ. But guess what? The only church down in Judea, down at this part now that we know of, there's none. And he's going back down to Ethiopia, past Egypt. No church. You want to know here something sweet? <laughs> something real sweet here. Both Irenaeus in the 2nd century and Eusebius in the 3rd century talk about the Ethiopian eunuch as the missionary 
Just 100 years later, these men are talking about him as the one that took the gospel down through Egypt into Ethiopia that would have spread the gospel all across of Africa. Listen to what Irenaeus says. This man, the eunuch, by the way, this is just 100 years later, was also sent into the regions of Ethiopia to preach what he himself had believed, that there was one God preached by the prophets, but the Son of this God had already made his appearance in human flesh and had been led as a sheep to the slaughter. And all the other statements what the prophets made regarding him implied were true. Beloved, if point one is God sovereignly redirects, and point two is God providentially works. And point three is Philip, God has Philip teach him about the church. Point four we could take from church history is the Ethiopian took the heart of God to take the church to Ethiopia, Egypt, and all through Africa. Now, beloved, now think about something. Let, let's just say that you were in Grace Emmanuel Bible of Libya. <laughs> I just made it up. Never heard of that church. But it's south of where the Ethiopian would have went. And you're new to the church, and you're asking about the church's history. And you said, tell me about the church's history. And you're, let's say, 200. Tell me about the church, or 300. They'd say, well, we can tell you how the gospel came to Africa. God loved the nation so much that He started out on the top of a dirt road in Samaria and sent Philip on a really long run to run into an Ethiopian eunuch who was totally unsuspecting and just driving home reading Isaiah and who had prepared his heart while he was in Jerusalem so he was soft and ready and he embraced Jesus and then he finished out his journey and he came down and he planted churches in Ethiopia and then he started to send out missionaries across Africa and the gospel started to explode because that Ethiopian spent a few hours with Philip who taught him about God's heart for the local church and he spread them all across Africa. That's pretty awesome. No one had to prod the Ethiopian eunuch to go be useful. There was nothing casual about him once he embraced Jesus. Do you know that Africa, I was looking at it this morning, is broken into Northern Africa, Eastern Africa, Central Africa, Western Africa, and Southern Africa. And you could say that the impetus or the catalyst that first fulfilled Acts 1.8, remember? Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, ends of the earth. The gospel, you could say, first went down into Africa through the Ethiopian eunuch. That is incredible. How's it end? Verse 39. When they came out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away. What? Philip, you've done your work. You told him about Jesus. You taught him about the local church. Got him baptized. I'm going to take him through Africa. I'm taking you back up to Caesarea. And Philip finished his loop, and we meet Philip later in Acts in Caesarea with his daughters. (laughs) The eunuch? What happened to him? He went on rejoicing. His heart was full, and he was sent out as a missionary all the way down into Africa. Verse 40. Philip found himself in Azotus, and he passed through and kept preaching the gospel to the cities until he came to Caesarea. Okay, let's stop. Implications. Ready for them? They're pretty, they fly off the page. Real simple. Ready? Just because you face hostility, don't forget that God is taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. And we might say, God is not prejudiced. God has no geographical, ethical, 
barrier that He will not penetrate. He does not care. He is about saving sinners. Two, don't minimize the miracle of one soul in your life being soft. If one person in your life is soft to truth and you can tell them about Jesus, that is a miracle of God softening their heart. And while God doesn't speak audibly and say, go share the gospel with them, providence works, doesn't He? And He brings someone into your life. Who in your life right now is soft that you need to open your Bible from the Scriptures and tell them about Jesus? That's a good implication. God derailed the top evangelist and sent him on a whole different journey. You know what happens? Sometimes when people go to the hospital, or I go to the hospital, God hurts me for something, or I end up there. I'm thinking, all right, God, must be someone here you want me to hear tell about Jesus. <laughs> Don't minimize God even derailing your life to have you tell someone about Christ. Three, your Great Commission work is not done when someone tells you they love Jesus. You are to teach them about baptism, teach them about the local church, teach them about new covenant ministry of the Holy Spirit, and teach them about their obligation to respond in allegiance to Christ. You're not done when they say they love Jesus. You're done once they have a full biblical ecclesiology and are baptized as a believer and are active members in a local church. Then you're done. Then they can be discipled by lots of people. Don't go this cheesy evangelical way. Oh, they love Jesus, but they never go to church. Sorry. Not in the book of Acts. Four, you should be praying for evangelistic opportunities and asking God to answer them. And then five, when someone's heart is soft, don't give them some cheesy philosophical answer. Philip had one method. When his mouth opened, what did he do in verse 35? His mouth opened and what came out of his mouth was Scripture. You just give people Jesus and trust God to do the work. Let's pray. Lord, thank You for such an exciting narrative of Your heart for the nations. Thank You for even men recording in church history the way that You took the Ethiopian eunuch and took the Gospel to Africa. I think of Dave Temple in Malawi who ministers there. I think of missionaries we've sent across Africa. I think of the men laboring there. And to think, You have a heart for the nations. There's bigger themes here, Lord, than just evangelism, though we want to be challenged by the evangelism. But the bigger issue, Lord, is does our heart reflect Your heart and wanting to see one soul at a time be changed? Because this one soul literally, seemingly knocked Africa over, at least in the beginning of the first century, for the Gospel. And we think about Athanasius and Polycarp and... You know, and on and on, Augustine. And we think about the men that may have been traced back to the way you had Philip go to the Ethiopian eunuch and then have him go down into Africa. Lord, we are in Jupiter and you're not done. There's people all over this county that don't know you. They fill up churches on every Sunday and they don't fill up churches on every Sunday. There's lost people everywhere. And so or so-called churches. So Lord, we pray that we would be faithful like Philip to just go and be faithful and pray. And when you give us opportunities, don't fear man, just preach Jesus to them and watch you do your work. We love the miracle of conversion. May we have your heart for the souls of the nations being saved one soul at a time. In your name we pray. Amen.